Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Four Verticals Podcast. I'm your host, Maurice Phipps, and this episode is being recorded on June 16th, 2021. We have a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of NBA news to get into, but we're going to start off with a little bit of UFC news. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. Now, over the weekend, UFC 253 took place. Um, the fight was main evented by Israel Adesanya um, facing Marvin Vittori for the middleweight championship. Um, but before we get to that, let's start off with some of the cards, uh, with some of the fights um, underneath that. Uh, Leon Edwards beat the returning Nate Diaz by decision, uh, setting up a potential Leon Edwards versus Kamaru Usman for that welterweight title. Um, unfortunately, I did not get a chance to look at this fight, but from what I do... From what I can grasp, uh, Leon Edwards handily beat Nate Diaz, except for a, a portion in the fifth round where Diaz uh, rocked Edwards and potentially could have went for a finish. Um, but, I mean, just decided not to for some reason. Um, you know, you always know what you're going to get with Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz is a great fighter. Uh, usually a lot of blood in his fights, a lot of hands, a lot of stand-up action. Um, and it seems like that's exactly what we got with this Leon Edwards and Nate Diaz fight. Um, unfortunate that I could not watch this fight. Um, I think I was driving or something like that. I'm not going to watch a fight while driving. Um, but, yeah, so there is a potential there for Leon Edwards to face Kamaru Usman for the welterweight title. I'm still pulling that we get uh, Colby Covington 2 uh, versus Usman for the title. Um, but who knows? Usman's been a very active champion, so he'll probably defend against one of them um, in the next coming pay-per-views. Wouldn't doubt that at all. Now, in the co-main, Davison Figueroa, um, def- <clears throat> Figueroa um, fought Brandon Moreno to, to in an attempt to defend his flyweight championship, in which he is not su- he was not successful. Um, Brandon Moreno becomes the first ever Mexican UFC champion and takes Davison Figueroa's a flyweight championship from him um, when watching this fight. This is actually, I got in right before this fight started, so I was happy about that. Brandon Moreno absolutely looked to be the better fighter 100% um, during this fight. Figueroa looked slow. Um, his hands weren't as, you know, nice as we, we're, we're, we're used to seeing from him, and it seemed that Moreno really, really came to play through this, uh, for this fight, um, really meant a lot to him. You know, during the the post fight press conference, he was he was tearing up, he was crying, um, just a lot of uh, pride that he he was able to fulfill this his um what his his destiny of becoming the first Mexican UFC champion. So uh, congratulations to Brandon Moreno uh, for again becoming the first ever Mexican UFC champion. Um, kind of surprising that we haven't had one as of um, until Brandon Moreno, but not surprising at the same time because whenever I think of Mexico and fighting, I typically think of boxing, in which the the sport of boxing has been huge um, with uh, in Mexico and with the Mexican people. Not necessarily so UFC, but then again, UFC is a relatively new sport. Com- well, not relatively compared to boxing, it's an infant. Um, but it is still a relatively new sport, so I do understand why we haven't seen as many um, countries represented um, with a uh, with a championship. One of those countries uh, is Italy, 
in which Marvin Vittori attempted to um, rectify that by defeating Israel Adesanya. Unfortunately, he was not able to, and Adesanya retained his middleweight championship after a very, very dominant performance over Marvin Vittori. Um, during this fight, I saw a lot of great head movement by Adesanya. Um, it really didn't seem like Marvin Vittori could even land a punch on him. Um, this was a very clear 50-45 fight in Adesanya's favor. Adesanya won every single round. Maybe you could have given uh, Vittori one. I wouldn't have personally. But even when Vittori tried to, you know, get the ground game going because he couldn't get anything with his hands, Adesanya stuffed every takedown. There was a little, a little small portion where Adesanya looked to be somewhat in trouble. Uh, I think Vittori had him in a rear naked. He he had him in a rear naked, and then he. Um, Adesanya uh, escaped out of it uh, relatively quickly. I think he had him also in a potential heel hook, but Adesanya also uh, scrambled away from that and escaped. Um, just further proving Adesanya's dominance over the middleweight title. This uh, this middleweight division is completely his. And um, in the, his post-fight press conference, um, he called out Robert Whitaker, uh, potentially setting up uh, Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker uh, the second fight. Um, I did not watch the first fight, but from what I hear, it was a very, very good fight. Um, Robert Whitaker is, is a phenomenal fighter, so I would definitely be looking forward to seeing Adesanya versus Whitaker too. Now that is it for the UFC news for uh, this week. Moving on to the heaps of NBA news. <clears throat> so um, to recap some of the uh, events of the second round, the Suns, have uh, officially swept the Nuggets. Um, Jokic was awarded with his MVP trophy um, in the, I believe, the fourth game. And uh, he was ejected following an inadvertent uh, face shot to Cameron Payne. Um, Jokic and Devin Booker got into it a little bit. Nothing more than, you know, a little, a little bit of testosterone overflowing. Um, nothing nothing new. Um, these things happen. Um, the, the face shot to Cameron Payne by Jokic was inadvertent. Um, I don't necessarily think it required a flagrant two. Um, but, I mean, at that point, the game was essentially over anyway. Um, yeah, unfortunate that Jokic couldn't play that entire game out, especially seeing as he was the the um, the Nuggets' main you know facilitator, the main point scorer, the main piece in that offense. So very unfortunate for them. Um, back to the drawing board for them uh, next season, hopefully, you know, barring any injury, which we're going to get into later, um, this Nuggets team will go very far with the addition of Jamal Murray, <clears throat> as well as MPJ's increased performance. Moving on to a different game, Joel Embiid shoots 0 of 12 in the second half as the 76ers blow a massively late in the fourth quarter to the Hawks in game four. Um... I didn't catch all of this game. I caught whatever piece it what I, I caught a small piece in the fourth quarter. And when when I tuned in, I think it, they, the Hawks were down like 12 and so I had basically mentally checked out of the game. And then, you know, 5 minutes later I turned back I turned my head back to my uh, my screen. I watch all my games on either my my laptop or on my TV. I turn my head back to my laptop, and the Hawks are down only five points. And so I paid attention from there. And yeah, this Hawks team is not—they're not giving up. Um, they're showing tremendous 
capabilities in, you know, coming back from uh, such a massive lead. I believe they were down like 15 in the fourth quarter or something like that. Um, yeah, but they're showing a lot of heart. They're showing that this series is not up. A lot of people didn't give them the benefit of the doubt that they would even win uh, one game. I think I said uh, the Suns. No, not the Suns. I think I said Sixers in five. I didn't anticipate them winning a second game. I also didn't anticipate the 76ers blowing uh, what was, a, I believe, a 15-point lead in the fourth quarter. But uh, the game of basketball is is uh, a weird one at that. So, um, they play again today at a uh, 6:30 my time, um, as well as the Jazz and Clippers, who we'll get into a little, a little bit later. Now, for probably the biggest um, piece of news, uh, well, definitely the piece of p- biggest pieces of news yesterday. Maybe not tonight, but um, Kevin Durant has a very, 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 very clutch and a very historic game. Five after dropping 49 points on 16 of 23 shooting. I'm going to say that again. Kevin Durant has a historic game five after dropping 49 points on 16 of 23 shooting while also grabbing 17 boards and dishing out 10 assists. The Nets come back from it down as much as 17 points. Um, and I believe they were down 17 in the third quarter. They were down 16 at halftime. Uh, Kevin Durant played every single minute of the game. He did not leave the game at all. They didn't sub him out. Um, and they needed every single minute of his play. Um, co-star Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving, excuse me, uh, was out with injury. And James Harden, who did play significant minutes, clearly was still injured during the game and did not play very well at all. Um, so when I caught this game, the 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 um, the Nets were down, I believe, about 15 points, and. I had basically given this game to the Bucks. Um, I didn't catch this game until in the middle. No, I caught it like right at the beginning of the third quarter, and I wasn't truly paying attention because you know they were down 15 points. I thought that um, the Bucks all they all they really had to do was you know hold on, and I thought they could do that. Um, I'm glad that I paid attention to the final you know fourth quarter of this game because Kevin Durant truly. Um, has not been getting the respect that he deserves as of recent, especially on NBA Twitter. Um, I've seen some people criticize him for, you know, not not being able to perform without a second star. Um, he's not a true leader in in a on on the team. That he's not the best player on this team on this Nets team. Um, and Kevin Durant absolutely shut them all up. Uh, Forty nine points in and of itself is crazy, but. For him to also be facilitating as well as he did and playing underrated defense, which a, a lot of people don't give Kevin Durant his his just due on his uh, defense. I think his defense is absolutely uh, above average in this in the league. Um, he had, I believe, two steals and three blocks as well as 17 boards, 17, um, yeah, 17 rebounds and 10 assists. Um, this is an absolute... This was absolutely a game that both sides needed to win, um, and not to say that the Bucks, not to rather not to say that Giannis uh, played terrible for the Bucks. He actually played very well up until late, which we'll get into a little bit more. I just want to um, talk about Kevin Durant a little bit more. Um, but yeah, some people have got this narrative in their head that Kevin Durant is not um, he he can't produce on his own without um, a co-star near him. And I don't know why people have, 
you know, that narrative in their head about Kevin Durant. I do understand that we've never truly seen him alone by himself like we have seen Russell Westbrook alone, like we have seen James Harden, quote, alone. But, you know, Kevin Durant is is Kevin Durant. Keep in mind, he's doing he's he's doing all of this off of a torn Achilles injury, you know, that he suffered uh what not he suffered it what less than a year ago I want to say about a year and a half ago no two years ago it's two years ago yeah he suffered this injury two years ago and you know at the at the beginning of the season there were questions of whether Kevin Durant could come back at least 80 percent to what he was um no he's definitely a hundred percent a hundred and ten percent for this playoffs um he's been playing absolutely fantastic for this um this Nets team and they needed every single bit of his contributions to this game as they take a 3-2 series lead. Now, as far as Giannis and the Bucks, what I witnessed at the fourth quarter was an absolute meltdown from this team. Um Giannis was so the thing about Giannis is, and I've never truly been a true critic of Giannis. I've always felt that his game has needed to elevate more in the playoffs, as well as he needs to take more uh, defensive responsibility for the opposing team's best player as a former defensive player of the year winner and a two-time MVP. But about this Bucks team, I don't know what it is about Mike Budenholzer and the offensive schemes that they run, but I don't think they have offensive like schemes to run. I saw this. I saw this. Um, this exact same play happen twice. Giannis had the ball, and I think he had Blake Griffin guarding him both times. Um, he he dribbled a little bit, dribbled like four seconds off the shot clock, then he backed up to the three point line and charged at the rim like an NFL running back trying to find a crease. I don't know what that is, but it's not an offensive scheme. And frankly, it's just bad basketball. The only reason that Giannis is getting away with it is because he is such a good finisher at the rim and he is 6'11 and he is so strong. That is not going to win you games. That's going to lose you games 100% of the time, as well as Giannis not being able to, you know, make mid-rangers and three-pointers consistently. You know what? In my opinion, he doesn't need to develop a three-point game. A three-point game would help, but he doesn't need to develop one. He definitely needs to fix his mid-range jump shot as well as his free throws. Oh, my goodness, Giannis is such a terrible clutch free throw shooter. The thing is, it wasn't always like this, and I don't necessarily – I think one thing that has contributed to um, Giannis's inability to shoot as of recent is the – the, the large amount of muscle mass that he has gained. If you look at Giannis in his rookie year and look at him now, it's honestly like two different people. Um, the amount of muscle that he's gained is actually very, very surprising. And I don't think he's, this is weird to say, but even for as long as he's had all of this muscle on him, I don't think that he's truly uh, accustomed to, to shooting with it. He needs some sort of, um, he, he, I don't, I can't say anything that he probably hasn't already tried but he needs some sort of like shooting coach with him 24/7. I don't know. He needs something. But 
him being able to attack the rim at will isn't going to do anything if he can't shoot the free throws if he misses the, the and one layup with contact. And we saw him miss uh, two key free throws uh, late in that fourth quarter, as well as he he fumbled a beautiful pass by Chris Middleton that would have tied the game up, and it resulted in a turnover in which Kevin Durant comes down and hits an absolute dagger three over Chris Middleton's face. That's another thing. I don't understand why Giannis isn't guarding Kevin Durant. Granted, Kevin Durant is really not the person who's going to take lightly to anyone guarding him because he is so unguardable. But when you look at the two, Kevin Durant is a seven-footer who can handle the ball like a guard, who can pull up in front of anybody, and who can drive to the rim at will. Giannis is the exact same height as him, except he's the defensive player of the year winner. Now, you're not going to have Kevin Durant, and you're not going to have Giannis on Kevin Durant one-on-one every time, but I don't think I saw Giannis guard Kevin Durant at all in that fourth quarter. And if he didn't guard him like that in the fourth quarter, you could be damn sure he didn't guard him like that in the entire game. And a lot of people are criticizing Giannis and Coach Budenholzer uh, for that because, well, if you're a defensive player of the year, like your award says, why are you not guarding the best player on the team? You know, that's 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 what um, that's what people criticized him for, you know, last last year in the bubble when he wasn't guarding Jimmy Butler. And his reasoning was, uh, the coach didn't tell me to. Well, the coach might not have told you to, but as the best defender on your team, you see a player going off for 30 points, maybe something should click in your head and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to take this defensive assignment now. He's not going to score anymore because I'm guarding him. I'm a defensive player of the year. And I'm also a two-time MVP. I should be guarding the best player on the opposing team. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily know what uh, Coach Budenholzer is uh, is doing offensively, nor do I know what this team is doing defensively. But um, they needed this win very, very badly. They needed this win. Um, you know, Ky- Kyrie's out for the series at this point. Uh, they didn't get a, they didn't get a healthy Harden playing. They got everything out of Kevin Durant. And this is just one of those games that you absolutely have to win if you're this Bucks team because they've stolen games off of them when they were, you know, somewhat near 100%. Not always, not fully 100%, but they can they, they stole games off of them where two of their three stars were healthy. So, you know, potentially putting the pressure on them, it you, you have to put yourself in the best possible position position to win and unfortunately they didn't do that um, with this with the horrendous fourth quarter that they had yesterday as far as <clears throat> as far as what's going to happen to this Nets team I mean this Bucks team so originally I had the Nets in six as you guys know I don't like to um, change up my picks no matter what that's one thing that I'm also you know what this wasn't even on my Hold on, give me one second. This wasn't on my uh, my show notes, um, but I'm gonna add, I'm gonna tack that on to this NBA segment. Uh, how reactionary uh, everyone is. But as far as what's gonna happen to this Bucks team, 
I, I honestly, if they don't come out of this series, I think it might be time to get Mike Budenholzer out of there. Now, Mike Budenholzer is a phenomenal coach during the regular season, but that's the problem. He's a phenomenal coach during the regular season. He doesn't make the necessary adjustments in order for his teams to be successful in the postseason. Every time during the post – no, I'm going to start that over. During the regular season, Giannis Antetokounmpo is a phenomenal player. What kills this Bucks team is that during the playoffs, these these opposing teams, they're going to try to stop Giannis. They're not going to have Giannis beat them. They don't want Giannis to drop 45 points on them. If Chris Middleton drops 45 points, you know what? Fine. What did Giannis do? Because if Giannis drops 45 points, you can almost be sure that the Bucks team, with Giannis dropping 45 points, wins. If they can hold Giannis to a 22 points on, on terrible efficiency, that's a win for that opposing team. You know, they, they don't want the last person any NBA team wants to beat them is the best player on the team. What it, with, what, and, and with this Bucks team, so often during the playoffs, does that does that work to the benefit of the opposing team? They they slow down Giannis. Giannis has a, a slow first half or a slow first quarter, and then these teams go these teams go on runs where they score oh a fourteen two run or uh, a twelve zero run, and you know this the Bucks team can't get going because everything is centralized through Giannis and they're stopping Giannis and Giannis can't get to the hole and Giannis can't get an open shot and they they built the wall so that Giannis can't just attack the rim at will and they're going to send Giannis to the line and he's going to miss one of two free throws because he's not a good free throw. Do you understand what I'm getting at? Giannis is this entire Bucks team and Budenholzer doesn't make any adjustments to alleviate some of this pressure from Giannis and so when when these teams see that and they capitalize on Giannis being you know the focal point of this offense what happens they don't win obviously with a player like Giannis you can't stop him completely because he even in the uh, in, even in the bubble he still had uh great performances um in the playoffs but with with a player like Giannis, if you can stop him, you basically stop any chances of this Bucks team from winning. Because of and and don't get me wrong, the Bucks have done a great job at providing uh, Giannis with uh, substantial help, at least compared to last season. But Chris Middleton is not. How do I say this in the most respectful way possible? Chris Middleton. Is going to give you exactly. Chris Middleton is going to give you exactly what you ask of him, and typically he's not going to give you anything more than that. Yeah, that's a that's a good way of putting it. Chris Middleton and C.J. McCollum are almost the same sort of player, except Chris Middleton's six ten. If that makes any sense, C.J. McCollum is going to give you maybe twenty two, twenty four a night. Some nights he might go for thirty, but he's gonna he's always going to be consistently. Good enough to be considered a second star, but not good enough to be considered uh, a second star, if that makes any sense. So when you pair a player who is the focal point of the offense with Giannis and you compare a second star who isn't good enough to be considered a second star like Chris Middleton, 
you have a situation where the, this Bucks team is almost in the same position as the Trailblazers. The only difference is this Bucks team is in the East. I don't know. I don't know. Um, as I was saying, I think Coach Budenholzer is definitely on the hot seat. I don't know if the Bucks give him one more season to try and win things. Um, but if this Bucks team loses in uh, in four to the in, in six to the Nets, uh, it might be time for the Bucks to potentially say goodbye to uh, Mike Budenholzer. Maybe. You might be jumping the gun a little too early for that. Again, Budenholzer is a great regular season coach, but you have to be you have to ele everyone has to elevate their level of play during the playoffs, including the including the coaches. I don't know. Um, where are we with twenty five minutes? All right. <clears throat> now, now that I've um, finished with that tangent, let's talk about some of the current news that has happened. Um, Literally hours ago, um, Chris Paul has been placed onto the COVID health and safety protocols list after contracting COVID-19. Chris Paul has contracted COVID-19. Chris Paul was also vaccinated with the, uh, the Pfizer vaccine. So what does that mean for Chris Paul? He is one of the most unlucky athletes ever. Um... What does this mean for the Phoenix Suns? Uh, this means that hopefully this Phoenix Suns team can get him back on the, uh, back healthy as soon as possible um, because we don't know when this Clippers-Jazz series is going to end. And with the news that we got, it's looking like it's going to end fairly soon. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't tell you how much this, uh, this is a big blow to this Suns team. Chris Paul means so much to this Suns team, especially seeing him drop. What did, I, what did he drop? 37 in the uh, the Nuggets elimination game. He dropped 37 points. Like, I don't, come on now. He dropped 37 points in this elimination game, and he was unfortunate enough to catch COVID after being vaccinated. <laughs> Very unfortunate circumstances for Chris Paul. Wish him nothing but the best. Hopefully he gets healthy soon enough to um, continue on with his basketball activities. But the health and safety of others has to be put first. Uh, that's just a reminder that we st we're still not out of this pandemic yet. Uh, everyone may, you know, have slowed down on wearing their mask because people are vaccinated and we might be going somewhat back to normal. But this is just a reminder that we're not done yet. We're not done yet. Um, moving on from that, Kawhi. Um, for everyone who watched the last Clippers Jazz game, um, sometime during the third or fourth quarter, Kawhi came down, I believe, on a jump shot or a layup and appeared to tweak his knee, uh, his right knee. Kawhi is now out with an apparent knee injury. It is, it is suspected to possibly be an ACL injury. Um, I don't know what the basketball gods are doing this uh, this offseason, but there have been so many key injuries this offseason. It's ridiculous. And honestly, I don't I don't necessarily know if there is anyone to blame. But 
this is definitely the the result of the the shortened season. I mean, excuse me, not the shortened season, the shortened off season for certain teams. Um, if you looked at the the regular season, seventy two games, we've seen a seventy two game season before. Um, there seemed to be uh, an abnormal amount of injuries during the regular season. And then it only got worse as the playoffs started to roll around. Anthony Davis got hurt. LeBron got hurt. Donovan Mitchell got hurt. Jamal Torres ACL. Um, and that's just some. Mike Conley's still hurt. Um, Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and James Harden all missed significant time. Um, Kyrie got hurt again in the playoffs. James Harden got hurt again in the playoffs. Chris Paul got hurt in the playoffs. Um, DeAndre Hunter of the Hawks got hurt in the playoffs. You see, you see, you see a trend. Unfortunately, um, you can't have it both ways with the NBA. Um, they voted to continue the season, and that resulted in the bubble. And the bubble was a success. But with that success comes the next season, which is this season. You know, you're gonna have to deal with the consequences of having that shortened season, and this is the consequences. These players have been playing. Uh, Back to backs, two game, two two games in three days, three games in four days. This entire season, and when it comes to this playoffs, where we know the format is, you get one day off in between these games, unless it's the finals. Then, it's it's only gonna, you know, exacerbate the problem even more. Unfortunately for Kawhi, um, or and and the Clippers, uh, he will not be playing Game Five. He is out indefinitely. Um, we still do not know what the severity of this injury is. Hopefully, it's not too severe, and they can have him back by uh, a potential game uh, seven, if need be. Um, but honestly, I don't see. <clears throat> excuse me, I don't see a way that this Clippers team gets by the Jazz if Kawhi's not playing. Uh, Kawhi has absolutely been uh, key in turning this 0-2 lead. Uh, around for turning this 0-2 lead around for the Clippers to tie this series up. Wait, this series is tied up, right? Give me one side. I have to make sure that this series is tied up. Um, come on. Yeah, this series is tied up. Um, Kawhi has been absolutely instrumental in tying this series up, and it's looking like it's all going to be for naught because without Kawhi, this Clippers team just they're not consistent enough to beat this Jazz team who is also dealing with an injury. But they they also have, you know, uh, Donovan Mitchell, who's absolutely been going nuclear every single game, giving it his all. And they have Gobert, who's, you know, you know what you're going to get from him. You're going to get solid boards and you're going to get phenomenal defense. Um, just a very unfortunate situation for all of those involved. Um, again, hopefully Kawhi can um, get uh, get healthy as soon as possible. Uh, if possible, he can get healthy in this playoff series. Um, but they're talking about a potential ACL injury, and I don't necessarily know uh, how much they want to risk that from Kawhi, especially with him having an injury history and him not playing at 100%.
<sighs> injuries suck. Injuries suck. Injuries suck. Moving on from that, we're going to talk about the all-NBA selections that have just been released for this season. On the all-NBA first team, we have Stephen Curry, Luka Doncic as the guards, Kawhi and Giannis Antetokounmpo as the forwards, and Nikola Jokic as the center. That is, again, Steph Curry, Luka, Kawhi, Giannis, and Jokic as the all-NBA first team selections. For the all-NBA second team, we have Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, LeBron James, Julius Randle, and Joel Embiid. Again, for the second team, that's Dame, Chris Paul, LeBron, Julius Randle, and Embiid. And for the third team, we have Kyrie Irving, Bradley Beal, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, and Rudy Gobert. To repeat that, that's Kyrie, that's Bradley Beal, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, and Gobert. Um, some notable snubs. I don't like saying I don't like using the word snubs because everyone on this list deserved it. But there were obviously people uh, who think other people deserve spots better. So I'll I guess there's snubs, whatever. Um, some notable snubs are Donovan Mitchell, um, Kevin Durant, and uh, James Harden, Jason Tatum. Those are some. Names that have been thrown out there that people are surprised who didn't make it. Um, if there's anyone that I would have put on this list that wasn't, I would have put Jason Tatum probably over Jimmy Butler. Yeah, that seems about right. Yeah, that seems about right. Uh, other than that, I have no problem with this list. Um, the first team, Stephen Curry's was an MVP candidate, so obviously he should go there. Uh, Jokic was an MVP candidate. Obviously, he should be there. Luka played phenomenal during this regular season. Uh, Kawhi during the first team. Maybe not Kawhi. In the, well, I don't know. Because who really played better than Kawhi that played as many games as him as well? Kevin Durant didn't play. I don't think Kevin Durant played as many games as Kawhi. Um, LeBron played less games than Kawhi. And Kawhi played better than LeBron this season. So, um yeah, that, that NBA first team selection is uh, is pretty valid, in my opinion. Uh, Giannis, pretty valid selection. Dame, not mad at it being second team. Could have been first team over Luka. Uh, I'm not one to nitpick at that. Chris Paul making it second all his all-NBA second team. Um, yeah, that, that's fine as well. LeBron making all-NBA second team. I'm not mad at that. Julius Randle making... All NBA second team. Now, some people would um, probably take this spot away from Julius Randle due to his play in the playoffs, but the playoffs have never, ever, ever been a factor in All NBA selections. So I'm not going to take it away from Julius Randle, who had a phenomenal regular season. Um, Joel Embiid as second team. Some people would have argued him as All NBA first team, um, but you can't. The, the, the MVP, um, Jokic, is taking up his spot. So um, second team is where he is. Kyrie, Bradley, Beal, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, and Gobert. Third team. Yeah, that's fine. I don't. I don't see any major uh, issues with that. Um, moving on to our final little bits of NBA news. Um, Scott Brooks and the Wizards have parted ways. Um, they have not came. They couldn't come to a contract renegotiation. So uh, they have mutually agreed to part ways. Um, Honestly, good for the Wizards. Scott Brooks is not that good of a coach, um, so hopefully they can get some some uh, some fresh blood in there. 
uh, in the coaching position and maybe take this team to a uh, higher seed next season. Another coaching change is Van Gundy and the Pelicans. They have uh, also officially parted ways after uh, only one season in uh, New Orleans. If you guys remember, uh, this Van Gundy has a uh, he was called in to replace Alvin Gentry, who was uh, fired by this Pelicans organization. Um, I guess this is a fine move. Not sure if they really needed to fire him. More so as just wait for the talent to develop. Um, I don't know. Maybe they were looking to snag a playoff spot. And uh, they felt that Van Gundy just wasn't the coach for them. Um, <laughs> I, I, I guess this is a, a move that they made. I don't know if it's a positive one or a negative one. I guess we'll see next season. But, um, yeah, <laughs> it happened. Um, now, in my final bit of NBA news, I want to talk about how reactionary NBA Twitter is. Um, if you guys remember, uh, no, actually, I'll start this off differently. With Before Kevin Durant dropped 49 points on 16 of 23 shooting, if you guys don't know, that's 69% shooting. He shot 69% from the field. That's how insane that was. Uh, but a lot of people doubted his abilities. And <clears throat> I have one particular quote uh, from a Twitter user whose name is uh, at Bakus at B-A-K-U-S-A-T-S-U-O underscore 24. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce that. So that's his at. Um, but he he tweeted out, KD just isn't that guy. He's one of the greatest scorers ever, but he doesn't have what it takes to control the flow of the game and carry a team. He's always had the luxury of being alongside MVPs. He tweeted that, and then LeBron, not LeBron, and then Kevin Durant went on to you know have his 49, 17, and 10 game. Um, but this isn't anything new with NBA Twitter or not even just NBA Twitter, the NBA world as uh, as a whole, a lot of people don't seem to uh, realize that the game of basketball is not as black and white as we once thought it was as we were children. Um, I, remember, I remember specifically, I don't know where I was, but back when Derrick Rose was still in uh, prime form, um, the, the, the Bulls were playing the Lakers. Now, I didn't actually watch the game, but I, I, I saw it on TV that the Bulls were going to play the Lakers. And in my head, I'm a Bulls fan, but I was like, mm, I don't know if we can beat the Lakers. That Lakers team is tough. And the only thing that I knew about the Lakers at that point was, was that they had Kobe Bryant on their team. And so I thought because Kobe Bryant was on that Lakers team, that they would automatically win because Kobe Bryant's one of the greatest players ever. Lo and behold, the Bulls went on to win that game. And from that point on, I've always been interested in how basketball works because, well, if you, if you tell me that one of the greatest players of all time is on one team and he's playing against a team who doesn't have him, 
You know, who, who who's a child going to assume going to win? The team with one of the best players on their team. Correct? But, see, the thing is, because I was – I had, a, I had a child's mind at the time. I didn't take into consideration different factors like who was playing at home or who the Bulls had or who the coaches were. You see what I'm getting at? I f- it feels like the NBA world as a whole has a child's mind when analyzing games. We saw it. We saw it against the Clippers when, when the Clippers went down 2-0 and everyone was saying sweep, sweep, sweep. And then when they came back, everyone was saying, oh, Clippers and six, Clippers and six. And then when they went on to lose the next game, they were saying, oh, series over. I don't think anyone in the NBA world actually knows how to think critically or think for themselves. A point being that everyone everyone in the, the, the mainstream NBA media, uh, for some reason, decided that uh, Nikola Jokic was a bad MVP. If you actually watched him play, you would think that this is bullshit. Nikola Jokic was clearly the best player in the league at this you know, this season. He played all 72 games. He was the best player on his team. When his co-star got injured, he led his team to a three. He led his team to a, a the nine of the next ten games they won, and he led them to a three seed when they were previously, I believe, five. Anyone who has a brain would tell you, would, would tell themselves that, hey, this Nikola Jokic guy, he's he's serious. He's he's extremely good at the game of basketball, and he deserves to win this MVP award. But then you have Stephen A. Smith and people like Nick Wright telling you that, oh, he's the worst MVP in 30 years. Well, well, what does that matter when he's the MVP right now? And he deserves this MVP award right now. That's just my two cents on it. Um, yeah, I've, I've noticed that. And it's, it's been very annoying, to say the least, because you can't really have meaningful NBA discussions without people bringing up or people being overreactionary. As well as another thing, people need to stop bringing up other players' legacies. Like I saw someone say Kawhi's legacy was on the line uh, if they lost to the to the Mavericks. No, it wasn't. It was never on the line. What are you talking about? He has two Finals MVPs, and he has two rings. Like, what what are we talking about? I saw someone say Giannis's legacy is on the line if he can't beat this Nets team. No, it's not. He's 26 years old, a two-time MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. You sound stupid. I saw someone say Chris Paul, and Chris Paul has gotten it the worst for whatever reason. I saw someone say Chris Paul's legacy was on the line if they don't beat the defending champion Los Angeles Lakers in this round one series. No, it's not. Chris Paul is undoubtedly one of the best point guards to ever play. Probably you could argue he's top five in his position all time. But you're saying his legacy is on the line? For a first round matchup, are you high? Like I don't, I don't understand how. I don't understand how everyone's being so reactionary, especially when everyone keeps getting proven wrong about these these situations. Um, 
I don't know. I always try and come at things from a uh, a balanced perspective. Um, I don't like to lean either too heavy on either on on any side of anything, whether that be sports, politics, whatever. I I I, I tend to stay in the middle and and try and see things from multiple perspectives, which is probably why I'm not as reactionary as most people. But uh, yeah, that's just something that I've noticed. On to our uh, final bits of uh, news coming from the NFL. Um, Jamal Adams, Derwin James, and Xavier Howard are all sitting out for mandatory team minicamps because of contract negotiations. Now, the only person I can understand sitting out for uh, contract negotiations is Xavier Howard. He just had a phenomenal season for the Dolphins, and so he wants to get paid like it. That's understandable. Um, Derwin James is coming off of an injury. Well, yeah, Derwin James is coming. No, actually, Derwin James is coming off of two injuries. So uh, I don't understand what he's exactly um, what he's negotiating. Um, he is undoubtedly one of the best at his position in the game right now when he's healthy. But if he can't stay healthy, what the hell do you what, what the hell do you want from this Chargers team? You want them to pay to you to 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 sit on your ass? No team's gonna want to do that. And Jamal Adams, I don't understand what he's getting out of getting out of uh sitting out of team minicamp when you just got traded from the Jets to the Seahawks for 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 throwing a tantrum there. It just goes to show that, in my opinion, NFL players are probably the biggest divas in the, uh, at least at least uh, United States sports, at least uh, in U.S. sports uh, right now, because you don't typically see too many NBA players throwing uh, so many tantrums and stuff. If requesting a trade is one thing, but um, you know, sitting out multiple years in a row um, for Contract disputes is just it's just silly in my opinion. Oh, and actually, I'm so I'm so glad that I remembered this. I'm so glad that I remembered this. Give me one second to pull this tweet up. This is so unprofessional. I should have had this uh, ready already. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So over the uh, over the weekend. Um, a report came out that Le'Veon Bell said that he would never play for an Andy Reid-led team again. I don't, I don't get, I don't, I don't get that. Le'Veon Bell has been a problem everywhere he's gone. He was a problem in Pittsburgh. He was a problem in New York with the Jets, and now it seems like he was a problem with this Chiefs team. Not necessarily uh, a locker room problem, but this is a problem that no one has ever, you know, brought up. Andy Reid's Andy Reid's athletes when they play for him, they 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 love Andy Reid, they respect Andy Reid, and for this to come out of Le'Veon Bell's mouth after we know the history that he's had with contract negotiate with contract negotiations and him not being. Uh, a hundred percent committed to football and him being such a diva in the the locker room, how can how can Le'Veon Bell say that he would never play for an Andy Reid led team again? 
And Le'Veon Bell has been known to go on social media rants about, oh, um, I'm gonna show I'm gonna show people why uh, I am to be respected. Well, if you're gonna show people why you are to be respected, you're gonna need to do something with the football in your hand. Because at this point, dare I say it, Le'Veon Bell is washed up. He hasn't had a good season since his last season in Pittsburgh. And that was how many years ago? He's 30, he, what is he, 32 now? How many 32-year-old running backs you know still dominating in the in, in the NFL? I just, I don't get it. Um, I don't understand. I've never been a big fan on athletes pretending to be, uh, you know, so, 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 not 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 necessarily pretending, but um, I've never been one of athletes being so full of themselves to the point where they think that they're above any sort of criticism, which is why I don't like players like Le'Veon Bell whenever they speak to the media, which is why I was a heavy, heavy critic of Antonio Brown when he was going through his sh- uh, shenanigans with uh, the Raiders and the Patriots and the NFL as a whole and his social media tirades. I'm, I'm just not a fan of it. I'm not a fan of it at all. Um, with that being said, I still hope, uh, wish the best for Le'Veon, but this was just truly uncalled for, and it, it didn't need to happen. And with that, that has been this week's episode of the Four Verticals Podcast. I have been your host, Maurice Phipps. Uh, please don't forget to tune in next week for another episode. With that, I'm out. Peace.